Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, July 14th, 2023 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, is aspartame bad for your health? From the Wall Street Journal. And seven myths about cholesterol debunked from time. Plus, the biggest early warning sign of dementia, according to neurologists, from HuffPost. And more, time permitting. Here's our first report. Is aspartame bad for your health? What to know about Diet Coke's key ingredient? WHO issues conflicting conclusions, calling the artificial sweetener safe and listing it as a possible carcinogen. By Jennifer Maloney and Betsy McKay from the Wall Street Journal. Two different arms of the World Health Organization, or WHO, released separate findings on the widely used sweetener aspartame, one calling it safe and the other identifying it as a possible cancer hazard. Here's what you need to know. Is it safe to drink Diet Coke? Yes, in moderate amounts. Food regulators around the world agree that aspartame is safe. Aspartame has been studied for decades. The WHO reaffirmed its recommendation that people consume no more than 40 milligrams of aspartame a day for each kilogram they weigh, which would be a lot of soda. With around 200 milligrams of aspartame per 12-ounce can of Diet Coke, that is roughly 16 cans a day for a 175-pound person. People get aspartame from some other food sources, though, and often the presence or amounts of aspartame in them aren't disclosed. The WHO and other health experts also caution against consuming large amounts of sweetened products, including soda. They recommend drinking water instead. This is particularly important for young children whose tastes are developing, said Dr. Francesco Branca, director of the WHO's Department of Nutrition and Food Safety. What is aspartame? Aspartame is an artificial sweetener commonly used as a sugar substitute in foods and beverages. Aspartame is about 200 times sweeter than sugar. It is also an ingredient in the tabletop sweetener Equal. What kinds of foods and drinks contain aspartame? Aspartame is an ingredient in nearly all diet and zero-sugar sodas. It is sometimes used in combination with other sweeteners. Aspartame can be found in other low- or no-sugar products, such as yogurt, Trident chewing gum, Jell-O instant pudding mix, Mrs. Butterworth's syrup, and toothpaste. Its presence isn't always disclosed. Is aspartame in Splenda or Sweet and Low? No, Splenda is the brand name for a tabletop sweetener that contains sucralose. Sweet and Low, meanwhile, contains saccharin. Those are two of the six artificial sweeteners authorized as safe by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Aspartame and acesulfame potassium are ingredients in Equal. The other two authorized artificial sweeteners in the U.S. are neotame and adventame. Stevia is a natural sweetener made from the leaves of the stevia plant and is found in NutraSweet M. What did the World Health Organization say about aspartame? 
One group, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, or IARC, classified aspartame as possibly carcinogenic to humans. It said it had found limited evidence for cancer in humans, specifically for a type of liver cancer known as hepatocellular carcinoma. IARC based its finding on three studies that found links between aspartame consumption and the risk of liver cancer. It also based its classification on studies in rodents and laboratory experiments. The other group, the Joint FAO-WHO Expert Committee on Food Additives, or JECFA, found no convincing evidence of health harms from aspartame. JECFA said it based its conclusion on animal and human studies and on the fact that aspartame is broken down in the gastrointestinal tract into molecules that are identical to some found in common foods. JECFA is overseen jointly by the WHO and the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. What else has the WHO identified as possibly carcinogenic? More than 300 substances and activities have been classified in this category. They include Asian pickled vegetables, gasoline and gasoline engine exhaust, lead, talc-based body powder, and aloe vera leaf extract. The list also includes some types of human papillomavirus, or HPV. Activities include carpentry and working in dry cleaning or textile manufacturing. Why did the two arms of the WHO come to different conclusions on aspartame? IARC and JECFA have different goals and approaches. IARC, a research organization, evaluates whether a substance or activity can potentially cause harm, not the risk of developing cancer at a given exposure level. The WHO calls this the first step in understanding a particular cancer risk. JECFA examines the risk of a real-life exposure of a food additive on health overall, including cancer and other diseases and conditions. IARC said it was asked to evaluate aspartame in 2019 by an advisory group of experts based on new emerging evidence. Its findings are aimed at the research community, said Mary schubacher Berrigan, acting head of the IARC Monographs Program. This shouldn't really be taken as a direct statement that indicates that there is a known cancer hazard from consuming aspartame, she said. This is really more a call to the research community to try to better clarify and understand the carcinogenic hazard that may or may not be posed by aspartame consumption, she said. JECFA was given the task of reviewing aspartame by the WHO's member states, Branca said. The two groups said they coordinated on their evaluations. I drink diet soda. Which of these reports should I focus on? JECFA's report is more directly relevant for consumers. It determines the risk of cancer and other harms from real-world levels of exposure to a food additive. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services wrote to the WHO last year warning that two separate reviews of aspartame could be confusing to consumers. The U.S. said JECFA was better suited to assess any risk associated with aspartame because it looks at more data and considers all possible outcomes, including cancer. What do medical experts say? 
Consumers should use the IARC report to reevaluate their use of aspartame, along with known carcinogens such as processed meat and alcohol, said Dr. William Dehut, chief scientific officer at the American Cancer Society. The public shouldn't panic over the IARC finding, said George Kurezis, associate professor at the Ohio State University College of Medicine, who studies the activity of artificial sweeteners in the body. The evidence of a link between aspartame and liver cancer isn't strong, and other factors may explain the cancer, including obesity, he said. Given how widely consumed aspartame is and the many years it has been on the market, he said, if the small amounts that the average consumer uses were adequate to cause cancer, we would know that by now for sure. A healthy person who wishes to flavor their coffee in the morning with a couple of packages of Equal or would like to have a diet soda accompanying their meal, this is not someone who should be concerned, Carrezas said. A person who drinks a lot of diet drinks might want to cut down, he said. How long has aspartame been used as a sweetener in foods and drinks? Aspartame was first approved by the U.S. in 1974 as a tabletop sweetener and an ingredient in foods and drinks. In 1981, JECFA recommended a maximum daily intake for aspartame of 40 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. What do soda companies say? People can feel confident in consuming foods and beverages with aspartame because the WHO after a thorough review, has found no reason to change the recommended daily intake of the sweetener, said the American Beverage Association, an industry group that represents soda giants, including Coca-Cola and PepsiCo. Aspartame has played a key role in the industry's efforts over the past decade to reduce beverage calories in the American diet. Full-sugar sodas have been linked to obesity and diabetes. PepsiCo finance chief Hugh Johnston said he doesn't expect diet soda sales to be affected by the WHO findings. I don't have any expectation that it's going to change, he said, because the weight of the evidence is still so much in favor of aspartame as something that is beneficial to human health, he said. Up next, seven myths about cholesterol debunked. Here's the latest on LDL and HDL cholesterol, plus how much control you have over it. By Katherine Hobson from Time. You may not recall every lab value from your last physical, but you probably remember one, your cholesterol level. If it's higher than ideal, you're not alone. According to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, between 2015 and 2018, almost 12% of U.S. adults ages 20 and up had high total cholesterol, defined as above 240 milligrams per deciliter. The type that physicians mostly worry about is LDL, or so-called bad cholesterol, which is one component of that total. Why do doctors care so much about cholesterol? First, it predicts risk, says Dr. Jeffrey Berger, a cardiologist and director of the Center for the Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease at NYU Langone in New York City. It's been shown in probably hundreds of studies that higher levels of LDL cholesterol is associated with a higher risk of having a heart attack, stroke, or early death, he says. And crucially, it's possible to modify this risk factor. Numerous studies have shown that when you lower cholesterol, you decrease the risk of a cardiovascular event, Berger says. 
Doctors' understanding of cholesterol, including how to best manage it, has evolved over the years. Here's some info from the experts. The myth: cholesterol is always harmful. The facts: cholesterol, which is often described as a fat-like, waxy substance, is essential to the human body, including playing a key role during fetal development. It's part of cell membranes and prompts production of crucial hormones. But too much can cause problems, namely contributing to clogged arteries and raising the risk of heart problems. When physicians and researchers talk about cholesterol's harms, they're usually referring specifically to low-density lipoprotein. LDL transports cholesterol around the body, depositing it in blood vessels, explains Natalie Pamir, an associate professor in preventive cardiology at the Oregon Health and Science University in Portland. Its smaller cousin, high-density lipoprotein or HDL, has long been thought of as the good cholesterol because it typically ferries cholesterol away from other parts of the body to the liver. Because LDL and HDL are different, doctors no longer focus so closely on the total amount of cholesterol. Instead, they generally ask people to aim for lower levels of LDL, optimally below 100 milligrams per deciliter, and higher levels of HDL, at least 60 milligrams per deciliter, and not below 40. The myth: good cholesterol is always protective. The facts. The story has gotten more complicated. LDL is still considered to be a bad actor. Based on current research, there is no level where having it really low is dangerous, says Dr. Leslie Cho, section head of preventive cardiology and rehabilitation at the Cleveland Clinic. In fact, people with heart disease should aim for less than 70 milligrams per deciliter, and people with diabetes and those at very high risk of coronary artery disease are advised to aim for less than 55 milligrams per deciliter. She says. But the HDL story is more complex. Trials of experimental drugs for increasing HDL have not actually reduced heart events, and research has cast doubt on the idea that the higher the HDL levels, the better. Pamir and colleagues published a study in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology that followed nearly 24,000 adults without heart disease over about a decade to measure biomarkers and track heart attacks and heart attack-related deaths. While LDL, as well as another form of lipid, triglycerides, modestly predicted risk in white and black adults, low HDL levels were associated with increased risk only in white adults. And high levels of HDL weren't protective for either white or black adults. One potential explanation, Pamir says, is that the quality of the HDL's functioning may matter more than the sheer quantity. There's some evidence that high levels may indicate harmful inflammation, Wright adds, and excessive alcohol use or metabolic disorders may lead to higher HDL levels, but not to better health. For now, there's no test for the quality of HDL. Research into the intricacies of HDL by Pamir and others continues. Until there are more definitive answers, it's important for people with high levels of HDL not to assume it will protect them from heart problems, to take the lifestyle steps that are known to improve heart health, and to talk with their physicians about medication if other factors suggest a higher heart disease risk. Cardiologists say.
the myth. You don't need to get your cholesterol checked until you reach the average age for heart attacks. The facts. Recommendations vary on when to start, but the AHA recommends that all low-risk adults ages 20 and older have their levels checked every four to six years. Screening will likely be more frequent if you have a family history or a personal history of heart disease. And the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends all children be screened for high cholesterol between the ages of 9 and 11, earlier if they have risk factors like a family history of early heart disease. Cholesterol is measured using a blood draw. According to guidelines published in 2016, it's usually not necessary to fast before your test. Ask your doctor ahead of time to make sure. The myth. You have no control over your cholesterol levels. The facts. To be sure, some influences on cholesterol are beyond your control. Infants are born with very low LDL cholesterol and levels keep going up and up as we age, Cho says. When women hit menopause and estrogen, which helps regulate lipid levels, wanes, their levels of LDL and triglycerides increase. It's an aging process. It's not a moral failure, Cho says. There are also racial differences. About 9.2% of black male adults and 10.5% of black female adults had high cholesterol between 2015 and 2018, compared to 10.1% for white men and 13.1% for white women, according to a report from the American Heart Association. But there are definitely some things you can do to keep your cholesterol in check, such as exercising. Regular, high-intensity workouts, including running or biking at a good pace, can lower cholesterol by at least 10%, Wright says. Exercise also helps people sleep better and reduce stress, which can improve your heart and overall health. No medication can replicate the physiological benefits of exercise, Wright says. And while weight loss can be difficult, you don't have to lose much to see a positive effect. A 2016 review of weight loss studies found that even losing 5 to 10 percent of your weight, so 10 to 20 pounds for a 200-pound person, resulted in significant reductions in total cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, and triglycerides. Losing more weight was associated with larger improvements. The myth. If you have low cholesterol, you won't have a heart attack. The facts. This is not at all true, Cho says. Cholesterol is an important risk factor, but it's not the only one, nor is it a perfect indication. Other risk factors for heart include age, older people are more at risk, male gender, diabetes, tobacco use, and obesity, according to the American Heart Association. And an estimated 20% of total risk for what causes someone to have a heart attack isn't known, says Dr. R. Scott Wright, professor of cardiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. So don't get too laser-focused on that number. If you could choose a life of high cholesterol, yet a low risk of heart attack and stroke, or the opposite, low circulating LDL cholesterol, yet a high risk of heart disease, you'd pick the first one, Berger says. You care about whether you're going to have a heart attack or stroke, he says. The myth. To keep your cholesterol low, you should avoid eggs. The facts. If you're a certain age, you may remember when cholesterol-free was plastered all over food packages. 
The U.S. Department of Agriculture used to recommend consuming less than 300 milligrams per dietary cholesterol per day. It stopped recommending a specific level in the 2015 to 2020 nutrition guidelines, in part because Americans were, on average, not significantly exceeding that. In addition, the American Heart Association noted in a 2019 scientific advisory on dietary cholesterol that evidence from observational studies conducted in several countries generally does not indicate a significant association with cardiovascular disease risk. Moreover, eating more cholesterol in your diet doesn't necessarily translate to higher blood cholesterol for most people. The body also makes its own and can adjust to compensate if you eat more or less. That said, some people are highly sensitive to changes in their dietary cholesterol, and blood levels will fall dramatically if they lower their consumption. Cho says. What does seem to increase LDL cholesterol are the types of fat that are solid at room temperature. Cho says those include saturated fats from animal products, including meat, butter, and dairy. By contrast, unsaturated fats, which are liquid at room temperature, are beneficial. And eating too many simple carbs can lead to weight gain. Wright says. Rather than singling out specific foods, cardiologists now recommend a healthy eating pattern that incorporates plenty of fruits and vegetables, more healthful proteins such as fish, and monounsaturated fats. The Mediterranean diet fits the bill, cardiologists say, and has been associated with protection against other diseases, including diabetes and cancer. The myth. You can always control your cholesterol level without help from medications. The facts: not all risk factors can be addressed. You can't do anything about your age, nor can you change your genetic makeup. An inherited disorder called familial hypocholesterolemia causes about one in two hundred people to be born with high LDL cholesterol levels, which will continue to rise throughout childhood and adulthood. It usually leads to heart disease, according to the AHA, though it can be treated with lifestyle measures and medications. While it's a rare condition, other risk factors such as weight and body type also have genetic influences. Even with weight loss and exercise, your physician may advise medications to keep your cholesterol in check. The most common are called statins, which decrease LDL levels. They are routinely prescribed to people who have already had a cardiac event to prevent another one, and also for preventing a heart event in the first place in those who are at increased risk. An updated evidence report from the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, published in August of 2022, found that using statins in at-risk populations was associated with a lower risk of cardiac events and death. The benefits occurred across diverse demographics and clinical populations. The review said, "Statins are by far the most well-known medication and have the most amount of data." Berger says, "There are also newer drugs," he says, "such as ezetimibe and PCSK9 inhibitors." The decision to prescribe medication is often based on risk calculators that gauge the 10-year risk of heart disease. Most recent guidelines put the threshold at a 7.5% risk over the next decade, or 5% if the person has other high-risk features. He says, "You should have a detailed conversation with your physician about the benefits and risks of medication." Still, Berger emphasizes, exercise and diet are the first things to try. 
not just because they can improve your cholesterol, but because they improve overall health. A study published in the New England Journal of Medicine found that among people with a high genetic risk of heart disease, a healthy lifestyle, including diet and exercise, was associated with a 46% lower relative risk of coronary events than an unfavorable one. And you know what? I did not get to everything I wanted to read this week, including the article about early warning signs of dementia. So I will get to that next week. In the meantime, thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.